Take your Bibles to uh, Psalm 17. Psalm 17. In verse, uh, Psalm 17, verse 15. I'm going to settle in on that verse 15. If I can get, if I can find it here. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Psalm of David. What a psalm, what a verse. The whole book of Psalms. I have the story, I've told this over and over again. When I was young, I did not like the book of Psalms. I don't think there's anything wrong with having preference, but I just did not like the book of Psalms. Uh, I just didn't feel it. I had. I just reminded me of a person who was kind of whiny, a little bit whiny, and, you know, and I thought, what in the world is he doing, crying all the time? And I was just, I was, this wasn't me. And my, my mother used to tell me, uh, when I was uh, crying, gut up and take it. Actually, she'd say, gut up, shut up and take it. But nevertheless, uh, boys don't cry. You remember that, boys don't cry? You know, we're raised under the boys don't cry generation. And so we would get, we'd toughen you up. They trained you, really. My dad taught me to be a man. And maybe the trouble with some of these folks, they don't have a man at home. A woman trying to raise a family cannot do it well. It's not possible. You need both sides. You need the male influence and the female influence. I sure love my mom. I'm glad she, I'm glad my mom and dad stuck it out. I heard some wild fights between them two. As a kid, you know, you probably shouldn't ever, but I heard them. They went at it. They went at each other. When they had a, when they had a difference, they made it known to each other. But I never doubted they loved each other. I thought, well, people that love each other, they do that. <laughs> uh, they whack each other once in a while. And I don't know, you know, it's just reality of life, I suppose. The flesh is powerful. And, uh, but they would repent to each other. And what I got to see was the process of repentance the process of doing wrong and then getting right. That, was a, that really taught me a lot about how I needed to, There's been a few times I've had to get right with my wife. Can you believe that? The part you don't believe is the few. <laughs> David wrote the book of Psalm. As I've gotten older, he didn't write the whole book. I'll tell you, he wrote 73 of them. At least 73 of them by the superscription are given to him as credit, 72, 73, and whatever you like. There's 150 of them in total. A collection of psalms made up the hymn book, temple worship. The psalms means praises. Psalm sweeps over the entire human experience, expressing every possible emotional response to God, finding a place uh, in this most beloved book. 
called the Psalms. Psalms in the, in the Bible are used, New Testament uses the Psalms in reference 306 times. That's a lot. And it reflects the inspiration and really blessedness of the book of Psalms. There are a few major themes that repeat themselves over and over in the book of Psalms. One of them is penitence. Penitence. <laughs> penitence. Psalm 6, 25, 32, 38, 39, 40, 51, 102, 130. Have you written that down? No. The Psalms also, there are many of them of praise. Psalm 111, 113, 115, 117, most 136, others. The Psalms of denunciation on sin, psalms against sin, and sinners, Psalm 52, 58, 59, 69, 109, 140. Psalm 32 is a psalm of penitence or repentance, if I may say it. There's also psalms of promise, Psalm 2 and 8 and 16, 22, 45, 69, 72, 89, 110, 118, and 132. That's just to name a few. So as you read through the Psalms, you begin to see certain Psalms repeat. David, when he sinned, did two major Psalms of repentance, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. You owe it to yourself to know those Psalms. Against thee and thee only have I sinned in this evil in thy sight. Oh boy, have I had to say that too many times. Uh, it does not take long when reading the book of Psalms, especially those of David, to realize that David had a problem in watching the prosperity of the wicked, the wicked who hated God and sinned without regard. But uh, Satan is the god of this world. But he was not the only one that had this problem. Asaph had this problem. We read Psalm 73, verse 2. I'm going to read some verses for you. You don't have to turn to them. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are plagued like other men. Therefore pride cometh them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. That was a problem. Of course, till he went into the sanctuary and he saw their end. Korah had a problem in, with that in Psalm 49, 16 through 20. He said, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. But while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. You succeed in this world's idea of success. Men will praise you, give you all kinds of honor. He shall go to the generation of his fathers and shall never see light. One of the horrors of hell is you're never going to see light again. Hell is not a party place. It's a place of darkness. I feel so sad about the people who live in the very northern reaches of our world, like Alaska. I was just telling some folks, there's only right now, I believe this time of year, only four hours of light. The shortest day of the year, I believe, is December 22nd, day before my birthday, our darkest day of my life. But 
He, uh, by the way, the Bible says the day of a man's death is better than the day of a man's birth. Oh, that's kind of the way I feel. <laughs> I mean, you know, you get to go to heaven when you die. Of course, I was telling folks tonight, you wouldn't know it by the way Christians die. They want to live, man. Whatever you got to do, doctor, make me live. So he said, uh, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Psalm 17, in the psalm we were talking about, verse 15, David shares the same observation. He says, keep me, in verse 8, keep me as the apple of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about, thou art enclosed, they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it is where a young lion lurking, lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him. Cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. And I suppose you under, you get that same kind of thing on persecution in India. A persecution is just around the corner here in America, just around the corner. We're, we began to see some of it under Obama, and then we can see more of it under Biden. For men, for in verse 14 there, for, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life, whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. He's saying, man, they, in this world they seem like they do so well, and we're here we are persecuted. And then David, David concludes in his frustration, but under inspiration. He says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. We can keep encouraged by this, and I want to go over a few, a few observations about this, if I may, uh, with you tonight on this whole verse 15. I'm going to give you five reasons right out of the verse, right out of the verse, expositioning, right out of the verse, to be encouraged as a born-again Christian the way David was encouraged. First, he says, as for me, our salvation is personal. We have a personal salvation. We, you know, ultimately, and you know this if you lived a while, you're alone. You are alone. If you've ever been sick, if you've ever been in agony of pain of some sort, you had a kidney stone. When you have a kidney stone, your mate does not feel it. Amen. They may sympathize, oh, I'm so sorry, honey, but they still go to bed, no problem. Amen. You cannot share pain. It's alone. I've had some pain, gout pain, where I'd try to go to my wife for sympathy, and God bless her soul. But it's not possible to be able to walk in somebody else's shoes unless you've had it. And even if you had it, you're just guessing what it's like. And I think the whole teaching of that was God was, I'm, I'm, I'm like encapsulated in this thing called a body. And 
I can't share the experiences that I'm having in this body really with you. I'm alone, except for God. The only other one, the only person, the only one that can know what I'm going through is God. So instead of getting on Facebook and telling everybody your woes that really can't figure out and really don't understand, go to God, who understands every inner thought, personal salvation. As for me, your salvation, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is personal. We suffer alone. We fear alone. We enjoy alone. We are really alone in a crowd. Why? Because we're encapsulated in our being. No one really, no one really knows me. No one in this room. My own wife does not know me. God knows me. You with me? You say, well, she knows you. Well, she knows what I like to eat. No, maybe she don't even know that. Knows what I like to eat, knows what I like to wear, knows where I like to go, you know, stuff like that. I mean, they, but that's not you, right? That's not you. God's made it where the only one that can really share who you are is him. I hope you have a walk with God tonight. Because if you don't, you have, you have ignored the only one that can know who you are. They can really know you. That's why Paul said, oh, my wish of everything is to know him, whom to know is life everlasting. I mean, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. The word there is experiential knowledge to walk with him. No one really knows my inner working. No one really can share my doubts, my fears, my anger, my love, my passion, except God. Who really knows you? Only God. He knows your thoughts. Put this up here. I like where it says, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Only God knows my meditation, amen. Only God knows your meditation. It's personal. He knows our mind and our intents. In Psalm 26, 2, he says, examine me, O Lord, prove me. Try my reins and my heart, my mind and my heart. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to fruit of his doings. 1 John 5, 20. And we know the Son of God has come, and he hath given us understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then I quoted already Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable to his death. Being saved is more than getting a ticket to go to heaven. It's getting to know God. First of all, why does he even want to know me? I think the hardest thing for me to digest as a born-again believer through the years is that God loves me. Why would he love me? I'm not lovable. Nobody, amen. <clears throat> but I'm not lovable. You don't know me like I know me. I just said that. And I'm not lovable. I'm, I, I'm, I'm what Romans chapter 3 describes. Without Christ. And here he died for me, but while I was still a sinner, wicked like that, cursing his own name, he came and he died and gave everything so I could, really, so what? 
so that I could fellowship with him. He broke down sin, which was the barrier between him and me. As for me, David had, if he, you know, David wanted, he had trouble. David had trouble. But he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He had a personal relationship, I may say, with God, a pre-incarnate Christ or God, which manifests the second thing we see is that we're first saying personal salvation, and then a second thing, a personal meeting, a personal meeting says, I will behold thy face. There's coming a personal meeting between him and us. I'm looking forward to it. How about you? The song, My Savior, first of all, says, When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him. How? By the print of his nails in his hand. I like the second verse that says, Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eyes. How my full heart will praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare me a mansion in the sky. It's not about that. Going to heaven is not about the mansions, folks. It's not about the gold. Gold's so cheap, they use it for paving. It's going to be about Jesus. And you say, that's not who I am. You need to get there. And that's what David said. As for me, I will behold thy face. Personal meeting with God. Looking forward to it. Amen. Another song I like speaks about this uh, meeting. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Another one, and boy, this one I almost can't ever do without, without crying. I almost can never hear it sung without crying. I, it was D.L. Moody's favorite song of all the songs that we have out there in the hymn book. The sands of time are sinking. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand, the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. It's not about the gate, pearly gates. It's not about the street, streets of gold. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and someday I get to meet him. I get to meet him. As for me, I will behold thy face. It's about Jesus. The third thing there, it says in righteousness. That's personal righteousness. So we have personal salvation, personal meeting, and personal righteousness. Some of the favorite places in the Bible for me is when I'll be presented blameless at his coming. I go, whoo, Glory. I have a book of sins thicker than this. 
God's washed him away by his blood. When he meets me, he's not going to talk about my sin. He's going to talk about my salvation. Glory to God. That doesn't give you a license to sin because if you have a personal relationship with Christ, you care about him, amen? You care what he feels about him. You wouldn't hurt him for the world. Let me tell you, sanctification is not a bunch of don'ts. It's a bunch of do's. Now, the Ten Commandments are, are ten negatives. I get it. But if, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to please him. I have a relationship with my wife. I want to make her happy. I want to please her. Most of the time. But with God all the time, by the grace of God. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but on YouTube, I like to watch the little clips of soldiers coming home. I almost never watch it without getting my house or just get the Kleenex out. And I'll see these little girls who haven't seen their daddy in a year. And he'll slip into the schoolroom. And I just look and the, and the camera will zoom in on her face. You can't fake that, man. And the joy and the excitement and the thrill. I think that's the way it's going to be with Christ. I've had to wait a long time. We'll be able to see him like that. I just love those. Or a wife that hasn't seen her husband is finally about able to see him. And what a beautiful thing that is. We're going to have the beauty of holiness. Amen? The beauty of holiness. It's hard for us in the body to even comprehend some of this. But the beauty, you can comprehend the beauty of purity. Now, you folks have been saved a while, and we're out in sin before you got saved. You know what the world has to offer. You know the things, thrills, and theories the world has to offer, don't you? And you know, it's like saccharin. Remember saccharin? False, the fake sweetener. It has an aftertaste. It's nasty. We call it pink sugar. And it's nasty. And that's sin. Sin's good going down, but nasty in the morning. The guilt, the defiled conscience, it, it takes something from you. It gives something to you. Sin will give something to you, but never without taking something from you. It'll defile you and harden you, make you mean, make you hateful. What's this suicide all about? Why do people commit suicide? Why? Because the trail of sin has led them to the place where the devil finally wants to close the deal. And he wants to say, kill yourself as if that's going to help you, as if that's going to deliver you. And all it's going to do is bring you before God instantly, your judge. And so, man, I tell people, whatever happens, however bad it gets, don't even contemplate, don't even think about suicide. Suicide is not an even an option on the table. Endure hardness, good soldier, Jesus Christ, man. I've had two people in this church, in the 41 years I've been here, two people in this church have killed themselves. I knew them, I talked to them, I preached to them like this, and they went ahead and did it anyway. I'm like, what? I've talked quite a few people out of it, kind of describing to them what's going to happen after they do it. 
He said, I'll behold thy face in righteousness. Once a person gets a taste of the deep, rich, enduring joy of purity, sin is distasteful, short, shallow, terrible aftertaste. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Psalm 19, 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. James 3, 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then after that, it's peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 1 John 3, 3, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The Bible says, keep thyself pure. We have something to do with the purity. Now, we don't have anything to do with the imputed purity. The imputed righteousness of Christ is given to us by faith in Jesus. But the day-by-day sanctification and seeking of purity is a choice you make every morning, choice you make every day, choice I make. Do I want to have my mind dwell on those things which are above, or do I have my mind want to dwell on those things which are below? Which one will it be? You choose every day. The choice is there. But if you get a taste of the sweetness of purity, it'll cause you to want to choose those things which are above. The fourth thing I see in this verse is I shall be satisfied. I shall be satisfied. Personal satisfaction. So we see personal salvation, personal meeting, personal righteousness, and fourthly, personal satisfaction. Now I'm going to tell you something that's lacking from almost from lots of people, even Christians, is satisfaction. They're restless. You ever been around somebody restless? They're not happy. They don't want to stay anywhere very long. They just seem like they're just not, you know, I knew a guy one time, and he said he was a born-again Christian, and he'd want to go to a ball game, and he'd go to a bunch of people, go to a ball game. They'd go to a ball game. Ball game wouldn't even be over. He'd say, okay, that's enough. Let's go. He'd go fishing. He'd go hunting or whatever he did. He just would start it. He'd do it a little bit. He'd say, okay, that's enough. Let's go. Man, I want to go, I want to go fishing. I want dark to dark it. Amen. But No. The things of God really do satisfy, amen. All right, you remember the prophet Mick Jagger? I can't get no satisfaction in the 60s, you old people. He wrote that song, put that song, made it popular. I can't get no satisfaction. went all over the world. I mean, that song, millions and millions of copies sold. Why? It touched a commonality in people. They're not satisfied. And when he said, I can't get no satisfaction, they said, well, you know, I can't get no satisfaction either. And, 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 and there's no amount of things that this world offers us will satisfy. You eat a ribeye, you want another one. You know, you do something, you eat a nice piece of cake, you want two pieces. It's just, it just, they don't... And, and, you know, I've come to realize that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up somewhere else beyond the blue. The satisfaction is coming. Now, I know to a point the Holy Spirit gives you a sense of satisfaction like the world cannot offer, but you are not and have not been home yet. 
this old world. No, I don't want to sing that. I do want to sing it. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Brother, we will be. I like. I read a 700-page book on heaven by Randy Alcorn. It was the most wordy book, poor written book I've ever read over one of the most noble subjects I've ever read on. Can you get that? It could have been edited down to 150 pages and been a much better book. But one statement he made in that book, of 700 pages, he said, when you step into heaven, it'll be the first time you ever felt at home. You say, I feel at home. No, you don't. You think you do, but you don't know home yet. You don't know home till the old man's gone. What old man? The old man living in here. The wretched man that I am who shall deliver free me from the body of this death. I'd like to tell you how sweet all the time. I want to be. That's the spirit speaking. But the flesh enjoys being mean. Now, you're lying to me if you tell me you don't enjoy being mean. The old man likes to be mean. He loves it. He loves to be cruel, especially to a heart that's true. Just keeping you in the game. But things that nothing in this old world satisfies, sex, every way, shape, or form, no amount of it. Man, didn't Solomon teach us anything? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He, was, he had uh, red-headed women and blonde women and uh, black-haired women and white women and black women and Chinese women and Indian women. and every, He had every kind of shape, form. He had a 1,000 women. I think he had 700 wives and 300 concubines or the other way around. I'm not sure. And I just know the one that he just got done with in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, this just, it just does not satisfy. Well, take that to the bank. So if you're married and you're wanting that woman to completely satisfy you, you can forget it. The only satisfaction you're going to find is in heaven, in the ultimate. You'll never be satisfied with drugs, cocaine. Oh, how did God tell me? Oh, cocaine, man, it's a hundred times better than anything I've ever had in my life. His teeth were rotten out of his head. Violence, how about just playing? People try to play themselves into satisfaction, whether it be fishing or golf or uh, pickleball. Why you're here, I just thought I'd talk to you. But, uh, but horses, but you know, even horses don't satisfy. Pickleball don't satisfy, nothing wrong with doing, doing all that. But you know what I mean? You're, what are you seeking them for? Well, there's something to do. That's good. Man, I hope you're not. I hope you're only seeking one area for satisfaction. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. As for me, I will behold Thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. I shall be satisfied. And fifthly, I want to sing a little bit more. But I'm a, fifthly, I'll be satisfied when I awake in Thy likeness. Oh, to be like him. Oh, 
like him, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. And I'm leaving you there because if you, you can sing the rest of the words yourself. I like that song. It's an old, old song, hundreds of years old. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails. So why don't you trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you're worried at all tomorrow morning. I shall awake in thy likeness. I know that my Redeemer liveth. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh will I see God. That was Job. Possibly one of the oldest books in the Bible. He had that truth already, the resurrection. We have personal salvation, personal meeting, and personal righteousness, personal satisfaction, and by the grace of God, personal resurrection. Father, help us tonight to digest this, to take it home, to be encouraged by it. And Father, help the Christian to go around whistling, singing. You ought to pinch yourself that you've been included in the body of Christ. Woo-wee. Help us have zeal to get the word out in every direction, in every way possible, every legal way, every moral way to get the word of God out. May, may Brother Hendricks get that If it's your will, you have that land. May you get that land, building. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And Lord God, if his boys come up after him, after he's gone, come up after him to reach the people of India, what a wonderful work. May God help him, help his wife, family. Thank you for us to be able to meet him. It's been supernatural, really, to get to meet him. And we know it's so. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.